0: Today on Teen Teaching.
1: So I'd been on Twitter in the past and I'd done that thing that a lot of people do, which is retweet, because I was really anxious about tweeting my own thoughts in case anyone thought, oh my goodness, like what is she actually thinking? So I hadn't actually, I di- didn't tweet. And then I joined, January twenty twenty. I thought this is it. I am going to commit and tweet. So I put a question out there into the Twitter sphere, and no one answered it. Has my view of education changed? No, I don't know. My teaching's got much better. Um, I would say, In, you know, it really has. It's been impacted by every conversation I've had, and I think my understanding of young people has increased considerably because of the amount of people that I've actually spoken to because I've in a sense I've made it my mission to use the podcast probably like you do as a CPD tool well you know in that sense when you get that answer you know you've been heard you might not get the answer you want But you do know that you've been heard and you've been responded to, you know, I've worked for a head teacher that used to used to just give the impression the whole time that things were definitely going to happen. And then they didn't. And you're a bit like, oh, OK, because, again, you don't quite know where you stand. And I think people want to know where they stand.
2: Welcome to Tea and Teaching, the educational podcast you can listen to with a cup of tea. I'm Arthur Moore, and with me, as always, for now, it's Mike Harrowell. Hi, Mike. Hello, Arthur. How are you, Mike? It's such a good pod today, Mike. We are we're kind of doing another one of our uh, amazing crossover episodes where we get to talk to another awesome edu podcaster, um, and we get to share stories about um, everything we talk about in education. And we're really going to be focusing on uh, the tiny voices in education because we are talking with uh Toria Bono of the tiny voice talks hashtag the book the podcast um Mike are you ready to go and put the kettle on so we can get into this podcast it is boiling away and I'm ready Arthur listeners go get that cup of tea ready we'll be back in a moment welcome back Mike we are joined today with Toria from Tiny Voices Talk. Toria, welcome to Teen Teaching, and we are welcome to your world as well.
1: Yes, because we're putting this out on both podcasts, which is a real first for me. I've never done like a joint podcasting thing. It's really, really exciting. So if you're listening to this on my podcast, I'm theoretically the guest, but also Arthur and Mike are the guests. So actually, fundamentally, we don't really know who's the host. We don't really know who's the guest. We're just we're just going with it. So, yeah, thank you for having me.
2: There
1: is there is no hierarchy. We are all equal.
2: So this will either turn into a pod of us just exchanging beautiful ideas and memories and concepts of education or become a power struggle for who will become <laughs> uh, the winner of the pod. Um, and Mike is sitting there with a steely eye um, ready to succeed. So I'm going to jump in before he can before he mm-hmm. can take power, Toria, and do what I do best, which is talk over Mike. Um so we,
1: oh, we, I really we, like that talk over mic. That's really good. That's quite a podcasting thing. Mic, microphone. Nice. Yeah.
2: Um, I just talk over mic in general and it just found its way onto the podcast, really. So, Tori, the reason we wanted to speak to you um, mm-hmm. is we love the hashtag Tiny Voice Talks. And I it kind of brings to the kind of the education Twitter sphere that quite a lot of us spend a lot of our time in. And we were just kind of wondering where those, where that begun. Did it begin off Twitter and come into Twitter? Or what's the story behind that?
1: Um, the story behind it is in January 2020, I decided to rejoin Twitter. So I'd been on Twitter in the past, and I'd done that thing that a lot of people do, which is retweet, because I was really anxious about tweeting my own thoughts in case anyone thought, oh, my goodness, like, what is she actually thinking? So I hadn't actually, I di- didn't tweet. And then I jo- January 2020, I thought, this is it. I am going to commit and tweet. So I put a question out there into the Twitter sphere, and no one answered it. And I threw my toys out of the pram. And I was like, how is this fair? Like, seriously, how is it fair that other people ask questions and get hundreds of answers and I ask a question and get none? So I... Um, had sort of connected with a couple of the bigger voices on Twitter. And I basically said to them, can you retweet, you know, can you retweet a question for me? And discovered that if I got a retweet off them, that actually I could get answers. And it was like, ooh. So then what happened, it's a really long story. I did tell you it would take 10 hours, but I'll try and keep it very short. What happened was I created a hashtag called Tiny Voice Tuesday, which was a question and answer service. And I created this TVT tag team. And basically people would ask a question with that hashtag they tag me in and then i would tag in people that were able to answer the question um and what then happened was around about the same time i created another hashtag there were three by this point called hashtag tiny voice tuesday unites which was what you now know of as the tuesday thread where everyone comes together and says hi this is my name it was sort of It's rather like the cheers of Twitter, where everyone knows your name. You just sort of, you go on there, you feel comfortable. It's like a little community. That was, so that basically happened. But it happened, interestingly, I created it about three weeks before COVID hit. So what then happened was that lots of teachers were sitting at home, having to virtually teach um or remotely teach and it was really challenging and so people were joining the thread on a tuesday and there was around about 500 people at you know a week just joining to say hey this is my name and um what i realized was that many many educators didn't feel heard on twitter they didn't feel heard on social media but it was sort of greater than that there are a lot of educators out there that didn't feel heard I looked, you know, it's really interesting if I was looking at sort of conferences at that point that were virtual online, there were lots and lots of speakers, but a lot of them were, um, no offence chaps, but male, white, um, a lot of people were not necessarily teaching. They were not actually in front of children. So it, and it was a bit like actually our voices, the classroom teacher voice is not getting heard the head teacher voice is not getting heard so that's why the podcast started the podcast started because um, I wanted to talk to people about their teaching experience about their passion about what they really cared about because I wanted in a sense to counter the voices that I was hearing now that's not to say that I don't think those voices have a lot of value they really do I absolutely love listening to so many of those people talking but I believe that we have real value in our classrooms and sometimes we forget to tap into that.
2: I can see what you're talking about and the way I'm here we all know those staff rooms where the loudest person Mm. is quite often the person we assume to be correct and we see that all the time in social media and Mike I'm sure you've seen this in many staff rooms that you've worked in, there's there's that one personality who can dominate the room and whose mm. ideas spread because they are loudest, most enthusiastic, maybe most extrovert, Um, but that may be not always the voices we should be hearing. So that's, I can think of, I can think of some people from my career. Mike, you're smiling wryly, like, like there's a fault there, Mike.
0: No, I'm thinking about, if you ever want to solve anything in a school or an education, you should always go to the person closest to the problem. Mm. Um, and I think that's why what you're doing Tori, is so powerful because the people who are then getting a voice through your hashtag for your, your movement, they're the people closest to the problems we face in education. Yeah. They're the people who see it day in, day out five lessons a day, 25 lessons a week or, or 23 lessons a week or whatever it is. Um, and actually that giving them a voice and giving them a platform becomes really really powerful when you then combine it with people who have time to look at the the theories behind it and and to work on maybe the the bigger problems as well
1: yeah absolutely and to finish question how did tiny voice talks come about john mcgee aka the kindness coach in january 2021 pointed out that i had quite a few hashtags by this point in time i think I, i'd amassed four maybe five i don't know i just kept accruing hashtags and he basically said why don't you just bring them all into one why don't you call the thread on a tuesday tiny voice talks why don't you just you know you've got the podcast tiny voice talks just keep everything as Tiny Voice Talks, and that seemed to be the right thing to do. And it just, you know, I really like the way you said, Mike, there, is that it's a movement, because I think it is. I think people have been have seen themselves within it and then have found their voice, and I think it really is a movement because I truly believe that if we are listening to the people that, as you say, are closest to the problem, If we're actually listening to people that are trying things out in their classroom and it's working, that's actually really powerful. And Arthur, I really like what you say because actually in the staff room, yeah, often we've got that loud voice, and no one really wants to go up against that loud voice. And what then happens is you've got many, many, many people sitting there with phenomenal ideas, but being incredibly quiet. And what's been interesting for me is I'm an introvert and I'm a massive introvert, so actually, I've had to really counter that in order to do things like podcasting and all of the other stuff I've done to actually create a platform for others.
2: Can I ask a question to you both? As someone who is like you've both been in SLT rooms, you've been in the high-level conversations and meetings in school. As someone who's not been in those conversations, how hard is it to get out of that kind of? Um, meeting mentality of the slt becomes where those ideas just kind of bounce off those walls and what they don't do is they as mike said you said really nicely go to the teachers in the in the field Mm. in the classroom and hear those problems how do you overcome that problem rather than just is it just as easy as go and talk to people Mike.
1: I think I'm looking
0: at you, Toria. <laughs> I,
1: yeah, I, I saw you looking at me. I think it's really challenging, and I think every SLT is different. I really do. Sometimes those conversations that are happening in, within those four walls have been informed by the teachers in the classrooms by what they're seeing, by by what they're hearing. I think the difficulty arises when the conversations are going on without looking outside of those four walls just based purely on oh I've heard this from another school down the road let's try this in our school because actually then it becomes dangerous I think SLT absolutely need to be looking at what's going on there in school listening to the colleagues and then responding to that would you agree Mike
0: yeah absolutely Um, I think I've seen it done really well, and I've seen it done really poorly, and in, in multiple different schools. And I've I've been in the room, and I've been outside of the room. Yeah. Um. But I, I definitely think you have to think about how you can get your staff's voice heard at SLT. Um, the SLT needs to be thinking about that. How can we get that staff voice heard in an open and honest way, where people aren't worried that they're going to say something and it's going to come back and and bite them in the rear end. Um, And I think also, I think staff, if you've got an approachable SLT, I think it's definitely an opportunity to go to them and say, I've noticed this, here's what I feel we can do about this. Here's how I feel. And I think work with someone who's experienced at presenting in that sort of environment and learn how to present your ideas in a, in a way that's going to be listened to. Yeah. Because we're all time poor in education. If someone comes and says, I find that behavior's a real issue on a Friday afternoon. People in that SLT room are going to sit there and go, okay. But if you come with that and you say, it's a problem on a Friday afternoon. Here's a solution I feel that yeah. would work. Here's where I found it. Here's the impact it could have. Here's how I think we could implement it. Those people in that room are going to be very, very receptive to those ideas. In my experience, I mean, it might be different in different schools, but that's how I feel about it. But I understand at the same time, Tori, like you said, that's a hard thing to do as an introvert. That's a hard thing to do if you are relatively inexperienced in the profession. Um, And that's why I think that SLT needs to be actively seeking the voice of their staff and then working out. What they can do with those opinions and those
2: thoughts, yeah, the thing I've always thought is it's tricky when you go into those conversations, you say, like this is your problem is this, you go and solve it, or my problem is this, how are you gonna help me solve my problem? And it's all about like there, there's no problem. it's just what are we doing about our school and our students? And if you share those problems, you acknowledge it's um a problem that you are all facing then you want all those opinions in. If you start to get that kind of us and them mentality, which we have all seen in different organisations, that's not just schools, then that never works well. But if you get those people, you said, Mike, actively listening and then actively responding, and you can kind of get that two-way dynamic, that's when you start listening to those tiny voices and using them to solve the problems rather than just having two separate voices that no one's listening to each other.
1: Yeah. And I think that comes very much down to leadership style as well. And I think certain, you know, certain styles of leadership really lend itself to what Mike's talking about. And I think other types of leadership, you know, if you look at the autocratic leadership style, really, where it's just sort of, you're going to do this, and this is what I think, then actually there's no, there's no place for for any voices to be heard. You know, I think that, yeah, it, it's so important to get that leadership style right, in order to hear those voices.
2: So, tori did you find your views on—I'll like, say your views on
0: education—changing
2: mm. as this kind of hashtag evolved and this this movement evolved, and you were hear more more people? Did you like? Because I know, being on our podcast, my my kind of view on education has has changed; is constantly changing with the more people are I, I to. I was wondering if the same is with you, who's spoken to like just hundreds of people.
1: Has my view of education changed? No, I don't know. My teaching's got much better, Um, I would say. in You know, it really has. It's been impacted by every conversation I've had. And I think my understanding of young people has increased considerably because of the amount of people that I've actually spoken to. Because I've, in a sense, I've made it my mission to use the podcast, probably like you do, as a CPD tool. It's the tool that I want people to pick up, listen to and learn from. So um, a podcast that I'm releasing, that it should be released by the time we release this, actually. I'm talking to a clinical psychologist about, um, you know, positive mental well-being for our young people and what we can do in the classroom. Because I think we now work in schools that are very different from the schools we worked in 10 years ago and 20 years ago. And we're having to really ensure that we are supporting children's mental well-being. But actually, I didn't do any training for that. I don't know about you two, but I didn't undergo training in mental well-being and how to support children. And that's why I love doing the podcast, because I interview people and then I begin to develop my understanding. And hopefully the listeners develop theirs. So, no, I don't think it's changed my view of teaching But I do think teaching has changed a great deal since I first first trained.
0: I think I definitely didn't have any training in that. And um, I know Arthur barely had any training. Um, So (laughs) probably probably no training in that.
2: Six solid weeks, Mike. Six solid weeks. Six solid weeks
0: (laughs) of training. Um, Tori, I'm wondering, how do you know that what you're doing with Tiny Voice Talks has an impact on those people so those people who come on and say my name is this and Mm -hmm. they they share their stories their thoughts have you have you had any real success stories um or is it just that regular engagement that you find really impacts people
1: on um well the weekend just passed we had the book launch for tiny voices talk and that's said so 37 contributors basically. I received when I was putting when I put it out there originally for submissions, I received many, many, many more submissions than 37. Um I actually was quite naive and sent off a book to Crown House that was over a hundred thousand words, you know, with with all of the submissions in, to which they said, no, sorry, we can't do that. So slightly changed it, but 37 people. So in answer to your question, Mike, in front of me on Zoom were most of those contributors all of whom feel so incredibly proud that they have had their voice heard. Now, one of them is Caitlin Bracken. I think Caitlin's probably sick to death of me talking about her, but Caitlin came onto my podcast in the early days of it. And she had actually fundamentally lost her voice at the age of 17. She had become a selective mute at that age. And, um, to then i think she was 23 24 when she came on my podcast she says she'd gone through teacher training there'd been quite a journey she was actually um an NQT, but for her to actually come on a podcast and talk about her journey and talk about being a teacher now was immense and actually she's now written a chapter for the book And she had her voice heard on the Zoom call. And it was really emotional for me to watch how far she has come. And the ripple effects of what she has done have gone outwards and have impacted on others who have emailed me, messaged me about, oh, my goodness, you know, I heard Caitlin speak, whatever. Um, And then I look at other people um, like Elise. So Elise has cerebral palsy. And I wanted to figure out a way that I could get her voice heard. Now she uses this phenomenal contraption to speak. She and I, I figure what it's called. it's a posh name. But she uses this fantastic contraption to speak. But I felt that it that she needed her voice heard. And actually what she said in the podcast was mind-blowing. She said that actually, as a child, Teachers continually told her what they thought that she needed. Teachers told her which friends they thought that she should have. They didn't hear or give her time to use her voice because she didn't have what we would call an actual voice per se. They didn't actually allow her to be heard. And that's the thing. I think people just need that space to be heard. And that's what i want to give and actually i've now gone on from tiny voice talks that propelled me into coaching training so i'm currently undergoing a diploma in coaching alongside an apprenticeship in coaching and mentoring because what i've discovered is people just need that space to be heard
2: what i think is really interesting Toyo talking to you is these are conversations we have quite often about students so we talk about, mm-hmm. wasn't it amazing when we had that student and we had some one-to-one time with them. We got to rehear hear their thoughts and opinions, whether it's about the subject we're teaching or just about the world. And quite often, especially in kind of social media and kind of Twitter, we want to listen to the voices that have the biggest impact numerically. So who said something that's been listened to by the most people? Um, Which of my podcast episodes has the most listens and why was that? where sometimes those powerful, powerful conversations are just between you and that one other person. And it's, as you said, it's just about being heard. Like Mike, I reflect upon some of the pods we've had and the ones that I always go back to, um, they're the ones that have spoken to me on like that personal level and hearing something personal from someone that I've really listened to. I'm going back to like the one with Emma Shepherd, Mike, that was the one that kind of always draws me into like just um like the, what we learning from what we do. Um, and also the episode I was lucky enough to do with Tommy's, the pregnancy charity, like those stories are changing. I think that's it's so important, Toria, what you're saying of sometimes it's just being heard is the most important thing. Um, and that's something we can take into our our teaching, our careers, our classrooms. It's also just something we can take into our like our day to day lives, like just listening to people who are speaking is a really powerful thing.
0: You're like a head of year for teachers, Toria. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's it's an interesting one because actually listening, I think, is quite complex. And I've done an awful lot of work on this for the course, the coaching thing, because actually a lot of us when we're listening aren't truly listening. We're with we're paying attention sort of to what they're saying but we're also thinking about things that we've got to do or we've got a list in our head and we're sort of we're sort of there um if we're listening slightly better we're responding correctly um but actually active listening and deep listening are two entirely different listening styles active listening you are really engaged in what that person is not just saying but also visually the clues, the the cues that they're giving you there. And then deep listening, you're just so engrossed that, you know, something, you know, something could happen in the room and you wouldn't actually notice it because you're so fully engaged in that person. And I think in life, we need, actually I'll speak for me, I need to be actively heard to feel valued at times. And I think that's what I, you know, I've noticed the difference in people when I'm actually really listening to them. There's a real shift. And that's the gift I think we can give to our teachers.
0: Absolutely. I think that and that's a key thing for leaders, isn't it? It's listening to understand, not listening to respond. Um, mm. It's a really key skill. In your experience, if I'm listening to this, and I'm a teacher, and I don't feel heard in my school, um, short of changing schools, Um, what can I do to try and get my voice more heard in my, maybe my specific school, maybe out there in the the wider education um, sphere?
1: Ooh, that's a tough question, isn't it? Um, The first thing I would ask you is where do you want your voice heard? And who do you want to hear your voice? Because I think that's really key. Like, who is it that you want to hear your voice? Is it just your year group? Is it that you're not worried about them? Is it the, the head? Is it the SLT generally? Who is it that you want to hear your voice? And then the next question I'd ask, and it is a coaching question, would be, if your voice is being heard, what would that look like? So what would you want that to look like if your voice is actually being heard? And then it's sort of looking at the answers to those two things. Because when you get that answer, then you sort of know why you want your voice heard and who you want to listen to your voice. Because I think that's the thing. Yes, we want our voice heard, but we need to think carefully how and why. Some people don't necessarily want... Their voice to be heard it sounds bizarre. This some people don't want their voice to be heard and responded to. In a sense, they just want to be able to say something, and ha- you know, break through that anxiety of saying something. Does that make any sense?
2: Absolutely. Oh, good. to me, sometimes you have to acknowledge that if you want to understanding when you need to vent. So sometimes mm-hmm. I want to say something, and I just want to say it so i can say it i don't need anyone to then go away and do anything about it. i just need someone to go i have heard you like you what you have said like you feel better but if that's what you want you need to acknowledge that but that's not what you want mm-hmm. you need to be really kind of engaged with that notion so there's no point going to someone being like oh can i just rant at you you rant to them then they go away and don't do anything about it and then you're like well oh, I, I told you about all this and why didn't you go do anything because you need to make that explicit so kind of exactly what you were saying towards like what do you want to get out of being heard i really like about what you said of like (laughs) who do you want to be heard by so mike can i throw this back to you how do you make sure like so you're leading a a team at the moment you've led many teams i've been in teams that you've led how do you let people know that you are available available to be talked to or to to listen to them how do you build that culture big question I would
0: say first of all you you go to them and you have conversations with them not formal conversations just informal conversations of how's your day going how's your week going um I noticed this is everything okay um I think you have to build up the trust with them first so being approachable has to start with you approaching other people I feel um and then it's that flip side that when someone comes to speak to you, they get your hundred percent undivided attention. You're not. So the minute someone walks in my office, the laptop is closed or I move away from my desk. Um, and then that is a hundred percent focus on them and what they're saying. Um, and making sure they feel heard. I, I worked for a head teacher once who had a fantastic way of making you feel like you'd been heard. But he would open his notebook and he would write your name at the top of the page and he would make notes on everything you said and it took me a good six months working at this school to, to work out that he never did anything with those notes and it became known as his pacification notebook that you you would say oh, I, I want this i want this on this and i need to do this and that's not happening this not happening and he would oh, okay and he would circle everything he would star everything and you'd walk out of there and you'd feel fantastic until about two weeks later, you realize nothing had changed and he hadn't actioned any of those things. So my first thing is listen. And my second thing is if they are asking you to do something for them or to explore something or to have a wider conversation, then you have to follow through with that because they have to feel heard and they have to feel valued at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely silence. Mike. No, I no, think absolutely long. spot
2: on. Love it. it. Mike. Absolutely
1: beautiful.
2: spot on. Round of applause. I'm a bit emotional, Mike. That was I was like, they should involved. put that put that speech on a hand towel and put it in my kitchen. Like that yeah. was epic. <laughs> um, but I completely agree. There's nothing more annoying than someone say, I completely agree with you. I will go away and do this right now. And then two weeks later you're like, Did you do that? And they're like, I just didn't get round to it. I'll be I've been really busy. I've been really busy so I think Mm -hmm. that's I completely agree with Mike like as someone who has had those conversations both ways like also be honest with the things you can and can't do if someone says yeah like can you give me a a 100 grand pay rise don't go oh I'll look into it Uh, it's a really good point let me go away and have some time sometimes you have to say no um there was a brilliant presentation I was at when I joined a school um where someone put their hand up and asked a really fantastic question that the whole staff body were on board with and the person in front just said that's not going to happen um and it may have annoyed a lot of us but we all left the room knowing where we stood we didn't go away like high-fiving and thinking the world was going to change um but we knew where we stood which is sometimes as important as getting what you want just knowing where you are um because then you can make better informed decisions about about going forward
1: well, you know, in that sense, when you get that answer, you know you've been heard. You might not get the answer you want, but you do know that you've been heard and you've been responded to. You know, I've worked for a head teacher that used to used to just give the impression the whole time that things were definitely going to happen and then they didn't. And you're a bit like, oh, okay. Because again, you don't quite know where you stand and I think people want to know where they stand.
2: Tori and Mike, I'm going to ask you, both the same question give you a bit of thinking time I was the best leader you've ever had if I said that someone's coming to mind straight away like I hope someone's coming to mind straight away Mm -hmm. like and why was that person such a great leader and Tori you look like you were more ready to answer the mic so I'll go to you
1: (laughs) yeah um I worked for this phenomenal executive head and he was what i loved about him is that he used every single moment to teach me so i was an assistant head at that point and he, he he would do things but he would tell me why he was doing them and it made sense and it was like he i found it so useful because a lot of the time leaders do things, but they don't share why they're doing it. And they don't explain it. And they they don't talk through the process. And he was just fantastic. I felt included by him. And I also felt heard by him. And I think that was really important. He didn't dismiss my ideas. He didn't always agree with them. He thought some of them were a little mad. But he I felt heard by him. And he had the respect of the staff because going back to that previous point, he did tell you exactly what was going on. You didn't necessarily always like it. It wasn't like, oh, that's great news. But I knew what was happening. I knew that I would be heard. Um, And I had I remember having a conversation once with him where I didn't get the answer I wanted. But I I got an answer and I knew I'd been heard and I walked away and there wasn't, I think one of the worst feelings is when you're not sure after a conversation what might happen and you've got that wondering going on in your head. And he allowed that to stop, but he really valued every single member of the team. And, you know, as I say, I learned incredible amounts from him. Phenomenal, phenomenal
2: leader. Michael thank you Arthur
0: I'm gonna I'm gonna flip it I've <clears throat> worked for some very good leaders and learned a lot from them but I think I've possibly learned more from the leaders that weren't great mm-hmm.
2: who I've worked with
0: um with them for and um around and seen ways and maybe audited my own feelings but I've walked out of a meeting and gone I did not enjoy that. I don't feel like I have been heard. And then breaking that down, you often do it on the car, in the car on the way home, don't you? You think, why, why do I not feel like that was a productive meeting for me? And you almost kind of reverse engineering it and working out if you were in that situation, what would you have done to make me feel happy um, Mm. and to make me feel satisfied with that conversation. And so I love Toria's answer, but I'm going to flip it around and say, actually, I think I might have learned more from leaders who didn't do it as well as I wanted them to, as much as I've learned from some of the phenomenal leaders I've worked with.
2: And Mike will be listing those names on Twitter later today. <laughs> um... <laughs> I just i Arthur again. Oh, I've, never, I've never been high enough to manage someone of your mighty stature, Mike Harrowell um let me flip it then
0: Arthur if you've worked for lots of leaders so what do the best leaders do mm-hmm. um that make you feel valued not just in an individual meeting but just generally around school what if a if a leader has to do three things to make Arthur Moore feel valued what do they need to do
2: so I was thinking about my own question um which I've never done before, Mike. Um, Some of the best leaders I've worked with have been outside of education, um, which I don't think says more or less um, about who they are, but just the person I always go to, um, she allowed, she said very early on what she expected of me. And that was very clear. So that was, she, she said, I expect you to do these things because that is your job. They are like the non-negotiables, which we can talk about that phrase for ages, Mike, but these are the things you're going to do. And I will help you get to the point where you can do those. But then I will support you in whichever way you want to branch off. And I'll give you that autonomy to go and better yourself, but I'll support you. So I don't think I can come up with free, Mike, but this is something I've always tried to bring into my leadership and I've succeeded and I've failed. I've probably failed more than I've succeeded, but allowing people that, autonomous space to develop but always being there to give them support and they're the best leaders I've ever had that said what do you want to get better at what do you want to go and do I'm going to support you with that I'm not going to tell you Mm. you have to go and do better at this like I want you I was remember being told very early on in my career Mike um I was really enjoying the pastoral side and I was told very clearly by someone very on my teacher career that I should ditch the pastoral side because that will never allow me to climb the ladder. Um, and I wasn't particularly bothered about climbing the ladder anyway, um, but that then I was being forced to do stuff that I, I didn't want to go down. So I wasn't getting that, that kind of growth that intrinsic motivation. So it's about listening to people, understanding who they are as people, what makes them work, what is their motivation for being there and supporting them to develop in that way. The worst thing in, well, not the worst thing, one of the things that annoys me most about schools is, oh, you want to develop? Oh, so um, what leadership position are you going for? Oh, you want to develop? Oh, so how long until you're an assistant head? And they are not always the best conversations to have with people. And if you're having those conversations without understanding the person, then it's pointless. So it's all about listening. It's all about listening and then supporting them with who they want to be, not just making notes on a notepad and throwing away. So you say your three words are listen, listen. Listen, listen give them autonomy auto, autonomize their i don't know and support them autonomous mm. support mike you once said to me support and challenge were yours you you i remember working for you and you said i'm going to support you and i'm going to challenge you great i'm all for that i want to be supported i want to be challenged um as long as it's on my terms apparently i <laughs> <laughs> was a dream to manage mike you never directly managed me. Let's put it out there. I don't think. No.
1: He looks like he's choosing to forget that.
2: Yeah, they were <laughs> the, the heady days. And now, he lives in my, <laughs> now he lives in my world. Um, Tori, what I love about the pod we do and your pod and the book that's coming out, we'll talk about in a second, like just listening to other people, getting those voices in, just makes yeah. you a better person. Is that something you've just, is that what kind of motivates you to keep going with, all the things you do like you're just the things you've listed you're doing oh I'm teaching oh by the way I'm also doing this culture oh the book yeah the book culture Oh, the podcast yeah <laughs> oh the Tuesday hashtag yeah um I'm sure you sometimes just sit in silence um but is that is that your passion for for everything you do my passion comes back
1: to the young people in my classroom that's that's what motivates me I want to ensure that the education that they are receiving and and not I don't just mean academic. I mean, you know, how they are looked after, supported, guided in school is the very, very, very best that we can do for those children. That's what it comes down to for me. So everything I do has to impact on the children in my classroom. That really, really deeply matters. And it always has done. And it's funny, you know, I've been teaching now for 23 years. And so my first class um were year one and they're all now, I think they're all 27, 28 years of age. And I bumped into one of them the other day at a wedding and he bounced over to me and went, oh, Mrs. Bono. And it was really nice because he remembered me warmly and he said about the impact that I'd had. Um and that. That's what matters and that's why I do what I do because actually, selfishly, I learn so much after when I'm talking to these people and then I go back into class the next day and I take all of it in with me and I I think that I've become a much better teacher because of it Um, and I want people to stay in our profession. That really matters to me and I think we're losing people hand over fist. And I really want people to stay in this profession. And I believe that if we've got communities like Tiny Voice Talks, that gives people something to hold on to. Sorry, I went off on a tangent there, but it was very exciting seeing him at the wedding.
2: No, I think I think we all like those moments <laughs> where we bump into those students and we, we see we've had an impact. And that is, like, sometimes it's a bit selfish, but I don't think it is selfish to say, like, what i do matters i don't think that's a selfish yeah. thing to a selfish thing to want um and the book toria i um i'm really interested so people want to go out and find out more about the book um where can they go and get their copy
1: well it's all over the place do you know i found out that it's at waterstones in piccadilly it's in waterstones in birmingham i was like oh my goodness i've arrived when i saw um, the pictures
2: of the book in waterstones i was like
1: yeah! Oh,
2: that, that is a moment. Cha-ching. That is a moment.
1: But it is, I mean, it's on Amazon, it's at Crown House. Um, if you until the end of December, if you go on the Independent Learning Press website, you can get 25% off with the code ITL25. Um, but the book was written number it was about impacting on the children in our classroom. But it's very much The way I'd describe it, someone said it's like a collection of essays for, you know, for teachers. And that's exactly what it's like. It's just a collection of essays slash chapters, which equip the Where in when I had in my mind, it was like I wanted to equip not just the student teachers and the early career teachers, but also the teachers that are longer in the tooth like me. With things that I didn't know about until I'd interviewed people on the podcast, if that makes sense. So things like trauma-informed teaching. I'd heard of trauma-informed teaching. I didn't know much about it. So there's a chapter on that. There's a chapter on period education, improving our period education. Because these are things that we don't often talk about. There's no, I've never been to CPD training in which they've covered period education. So the... There are lots and lots of different chapters in there. I say there are 37 different ones. Um, Some of them are based on teaching. There's quite a lot on inclusion because I do cover um, LGBTQIA+. I cover race. I cover cover disability in there because those are all things I don't know about both of you, Arthur and Mike. But for me, I have learned immense amounts about LGBTQIA+, and race and disability through doing my podcast like I thought that I understood until I started talking to people on the podcast and that really shone a light on what I needed to learn and that's yeah so there there's that in the book as well um yeah, there's so many different things, but my hope is that people will use it as a tool for CPD purposes and will be able to sort of dip in and dip out of it. It's it's not a necessarily front to back read, if that makes sense. So yeah. So it's sort of everywhere and anywhere, people.
2: And there's some wonderful ideas from people in that book, from people you know, but also people you don't know, which is exactly the point of it. Um mm. to go away and listen to. It. And I completely agree what you're saying, like. Sometimes when you hear those something from someone else's perspective, you thought you understood it and you had absolutely no idea, which is why we should listen. Why we should listen.
1: Absolutely. And I've spoken. um, Aisha Thomas came on my podcast and spoke about representation matters and. It was really interesting, actually. She said that she was asked to describe herself. You know, so, so it was it was at a course, and she said, you know, I was asked to write down on a piece of paper words that describe me. And into my head instantly, and I don't know, but if you've got words in your head right now, but into my head, I had adjectives pop in. Now Aisha said she didn't have adjectives; she had black woman and so she and she carried on teacher etc and and it was like wow and just that very simple thing I suddenly thought I've never ever described myself in an activity like that with nouns I've only ever thought about adjectives and that for me I just it was it was like the scales dropping from my eyes and I saw things in an entirely different way
2: I'm literally going through the list and definitely, yeah. N- nouns would never come to mind, which no. says more about me than anything. Um, but again, it's that different perspective, which is yeah, what this is all about. Um, Toria, we've loved chatting to you on Tea and Teaching. Um, I feel it's
1: been more you two talking to me, and I've done a really rubbish job of hosting and, t- and asking you anything, actually. I-, I have a question, though. I want to know where the name of your podcast came from.
2: Mike's going to answer it. Go on,
0: Mike. So tea is literally for a cup of tea. Mm -hmm. So the whole idea was that we would just have a cup of tea and discuss things to do with teaching. And we actually, when we set up the pod, we never actually thought we would get guests on. We just thought it'd be the two of us talking about education. We picked different Mm -hmm. topics. We'd have a chat. And then actually we found, very similar to you, uh, Toria, that, having people on and hearing their voices and hearing what they had to say mm. was fantastic professional development for us, but also the listeners as well. Um, and I think once we started learning from people coming on, that was it. We were,
2: we were sold. <clears throat> the name actually came from, we were having um, breakfast in Kau Yai, Mike, me, you, um, both our partners. And we were having a really in-depth conversation about teaching And it was over breakfast and when we lived in very close proximity to each other mike me and used to used to drink a lot of tea that would be the text wouldn't it it would just be a tea question mark um and we were having this conversation about tea and we i think me and mike were just getting into podcasts and we were like like shouldn't we do a podcast what would we call it and someone said cup of tea and teaching listen to tea and teaching something like that um and then it came from there um but mike's story was much more profound and in depth and
1: I like um, I like both your stories though. So I also want to know, as do the listeners on both sides, so was it close proximity to each other initially, or was it working together initially? How did your your relationship develop?
0: So it was it was working together. Mm-hmm. Um, so okay, we was... <coughs> we moved <to> an <laughs> school. We moved to an international school at the same time. Um, I'd never lived abroad. Uh, wow. We were both very recently married, so we had a lot in common, um, and ended up in, in a very similar group of friends. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a couple of years into working together, you moved two doors down from me in a block of apartments. Oh, it's... So ooh, ooh, vaguely stalkery. In a
2: very creepy, stalkery way. Victoria. Yeah, it went very... um. <laughs> You know, like that first year of uni when you live in halls and you just walk yeah. into people's like you just eat together, you cook together, like that was kind of very much the expat mm. kind of life where we were. Um which is fine until you're in the bath. It's very off-putting. Mm. Saving water, Mike. Saving water. Um, um, I'm trying to think of I don't think there was a moment where we were like, um, like, did we just become best friends? I don't think that happened. Um, I think it was um, just many hours of playing snooker together in a Thai snooker hall um, and we basically slowed, there were five of us to start with then there were four then there were three and it was just me and Mike. Um, what did you do to the other three? Um...
0: Talked about teaching, they don't want to be around <laughs> us um, we've got about
1: <laughs> feel about Like We've had enough of that, we're going
0: We want to talk to about teaching with us and then they tend to log off and leave us
1: so are you both, sorry, I'm, I'm, now I have taken over questions. Are you both now in close proximity to each other?
2: Not as close as we would like. No. Um. Uh, <laughs> oh, we, we're we're so not two
1: doors down anymore. Arthur. Not two doors <laughs> down
2: anymore. No, we're about an hour apart. Uh, incredibly, sadly. Um. Well, we catch up. We catch up.
1: But that an hour apart, not. They're still not terribly far away. Who moved first, and then who moved after?
2: I came back to the UK first and then um, Mike stalked to you and then Mike followed. Mm. Yes. Um, he said, he just couldn't do it. It wasn't the same without me, it was too <laughs> much fun. Um, um, but our, our partners get on very well. Like we're like, we've spent a lot of time together. Um, and we've had, we've gone through many things as a, as a four and then a five. And then there's six, like there's three kids in involved now. And they're all, they're, they're going to be best friends, right? Mike.
0: If you have anything to do with it, yes.
2: <laughs> I don't have I don't have many friends, so I hold those who I who put up with me very closely.
0: Essentially my daughter will end up at somewhere like university and two doors down will be Alpha Son and she'll say, yes. Oh, I didn't realise you were going to this university. I don't. <laughs> Wanna come see.
1: Oh, I love that. But that's a great story. That really is about how the two of you sort of... So, right, last question, I promise. Was the podcast created when you were abroad or when you were back here?
0: Oh, that's a good one. Half abroad, half at home. So Arthur was back oh, in wow. Was Oh, wow. Left in time. Oh, you
1: missed each other that much. You decided to do a podcast to stay together.
0: It yeah. was actually, yeah, part of the, part of the motivation <laughs> to actually do it was that we missed talking to each other about teaching. So we thought, well, how could we do this? Right. It's weird just calling each other on Zoom occasionally. So we thought, well, let's do it as a podcast. And mm. we're surprised to this day that anyone listens.
1: But I think that's the thing. I think educators love learning, or at least there are many, many educators like the two of you and me that love learning, that love talking about it, et cetera. Um, And actually, those are the people that tune in. I love my listeners, and I'm sure you love your listeners. You know, we've probably got very similar listeners, if not the same, that they just love learning about teaching and learning. And I think it is. It's it's a great passion to have, I think.
0: Absolutely. I think if you are passionate about what you do, then although it has its moments, it feels less like work.
1: Now, I know I said I have my last question. I know I said I had my last question, but I, I actually did. Oh, keep going. Right. Okay. So in my podcast, I always ask a final question. So I'm going to ask this question of each of you. Are you ready? Okay. So Is it a competition? It, it, it's well, might be. Depends who comes up with the best answer. So if you could have been taught by anyone living or dead, who would have been your perfect teacher?
0: You go first, Arthur. Because yours <laughs> will you be ask, more profound than mine.
2: If you ask me right now, um, Gabriel Gatehouse um, would be like, he is, oh, I'm, I'm going to go re here. So Gabriel Gatehouse would be my number one. He's the writer of um, the greatest podcast of all time, The Coming Storm from BBC Sounds. I love his, I would love to go and be in a classroom where he talks to me and Mike's going to come up with such a different answer. That would kind of be my geeky answer right now. Um, if I had to go like more, like, am I supposed to go historical? Am I supposed to be a profound person? No, you history?
1: pick whoever you want. And I'm, I think that's a fantastic answer. You uh,
2: can Gabriel Garehouse, I would love to be my yeah. teacher right now.
1: Perfect. And you, Mike?
0: Uh, as a, a, a massive sports fan and a massive Manchester United fan, I would actually say Sir Alex Ferguson. I think he's got so many facets to what he does in terms of he has that technical knowledge, but he also has that, that people uh, knowledge and that understanding of how to, to work with people. So they'd I be very be different lessons. Very interesting person to learn from. And but he doesn't have a podcast offer.
2: So. Uh, well, let's try and get them both on the pods. So Alex Ferguson, if you're listening, uh, please come on team teaching. Gabriel Gouthouse, who's much more likely to be listening, although he's definitely not listening. Please come on team teaching um, to teach me whatever. And Mike, you love Gabriel Gatehouse too. Don't pretend you don't know who he is.
0: Toria, has anyone ever asked you that question? I don't know.
2: Because we're going (laughs) to.
1: I guess that. And I thought, oh, goodness. Um, There is someone that I find inspirational at the moment so I, I i go through stages where i have lots and lots of different people i find utterly utterly inspirational there are many people that i could mention in the world of education that i would love to have been taught by but there's someone that i that i find really inspiring at the called nancy klein now nancy klein writes lots about listening and she writes lots about the power of silence and holding silence and holding space and i just think well i wonder What it would be like to be in a classroom with someone that has such a deep appreciation for silence, who really allows students to stop and think, as opposed to jumps in and wants you to answer quite quickly. So I think Nancy Klein is my answer
2: today. What a trio they would make
1: wouldn't they just I tell you if you go through the podcast and you listen to everyone's answers actually one of the guests the other day said it would be the most expensive school in the whole of the uk with some of the people that we'd have to employ but honestly it'd be such a good school really really would most phenomenal staffing body
0: it's okay we can just bring it in on m3 be fine.
1: <laughs> yeah. m1 everyone here we go off we go yeah oh it's been lovely talking to you two very refreshing you can take that you in many ways it's been nice like, talking re- to me too it's
2: to okay me. i've never heard what you've said before and you can take that in many ways uh no toyo i think the pleasure's been all ours to talk to someone who's <laughs> um like i've 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 made many notes and i will have to go away and go through my notes again as we always do um but it's just nice talking to someone who has spoken to loads of people in education and is empowering those voices and i think if people take one thing away from this podcast episode it's like go and listen to people and don't Mm. judge what they say before you listen to it because you don't know what they're going to say. Yeah.
1: No, I truly have loved speaking to both of you. It's been great. And it's so nice sitting in the space with other podcast hosts because being a podcast host is a very, it's a very strange beast sometimes. And it's so nice to sitting with two other people that, that do this. So yeah, thank you so much for sharing this space with me.
2: Thank you, Tori. Thank you, Tori. Enjoy the rest of your evening, everybody. Thank you for listening to this episode of Tea and Teaching.
0: If you've enjoyed the content of this episode, please feel free to share it with other educators.
2: And if you're able to, please leave a review on the platform.
0: And as always, thank you for listening to Tea and Teaching.